What's up, everybody? It is the 20th edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Of course, the NBA edition with myself, Joe Serralo, my man, Mackenzie Rivers. We are back from All-Star Weekend. We've got games to get to. We've got best bets to win. Mackenzie, how you feeling about this upcoming Thursday, Friday slate? Feeling great. Feeling like we've got NBA action tomorrow. What could be better? I know, man. This week felt like a year, especially with the football season done and, you know, really the NBA here to carry us through to the spring. Uh, I've been missing it. So instead of our usual format where we talk about some of the headlines in the league and the hottest topics before we get to games, there are so many games with so many lines out for the next 48 hours. We're just going to dive right in. Mackenzie, what game on Thursday's slate would you like to start with? Well, let's quickly, not to dive into too much of the news, talk about the Brooklyn Nets-Boston Celtics game. As I predicted, or not really predicted, in fact, I kind of got egg on my face, it was four and a half Celtics favored at Brooklyn. Now, I said, well, I don't know, someone might come back, there might be some news, but I would make it six. Well, now the Vegas market has made Boston Celtics favored by six. So I still bet it, but um, it goes to show you, you have to be on top of these numbers. When you have enough information to fire, you're usually better off firing. I wish I had done that myself. But the news of the day, real quickly, yada, 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 New York, yada, yada, yada mandates. Brooklyn Nets appear to be getting Kyrie Irving back to play home games in the next couple weeks. Their title odds, no big movement. They go from six to one to five to one. But yeah, I still like that game. Kevin Durant's not going to be there. I still think the Celtics playing the best basketball in the NBA outside of the Phoenix Suns since the change of the new year. And the Nets are just undermanned trying to scrap together uh, a squad. So real quickly, do you have any thoughts on that game? Uh, I already bet Celtics minus six, but the best value is already out of the game. Yeah, the best value is definitely come and gone. But I I mean, I'm still with you. Even at minus six, it's like there's no Kyrie yet at home in, in New York. There is no Ben Simmons yet. No Kevin Durant yet. I I mean, you know, no disrespect to Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, but can they go up against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? I don't think so. So Boston minus six is my lean. I don't think I'm actually going to play this game, uh, but I definitely lean with you on that one. Yeah, and if you look at the success that Seth Curry's had uh, and the new Nets have had, it came against the Wizards, came against the Knicks. They haven't played a real defense, even though the Knicks were great on defense last year, this year, middle of the pack. So I think the Celtics holding teams under 100 points a game. I just don't think this new look Nets team has seen anything like it. And I think it'll take some time to adjust. Uh, real quickly, I have been diving into a game that you liked. Uh, actually, I'll get into that when, when, when we get into that. But uh, where should we go next for our next game we're looking at? Well, I'm excited to, to hear what you were just teasing, but I guess I'll have to be patient like the rest of us. <laughs> Let's head over to Sacktown. The Denver Nuggets and the Sacramento Kings. This wasn't the game you were just alluding to, was it? No. Okay, so the Nuggets are currently four and a half point favorites in this one. And I know the trend in the past years, we discussed this a, a few weeks ago, is that hit favorites hard in the two to three weeks before the All-Star break. Then things even out a little bit, and then in April hit them hard again. But I don't know. I really like the favorites coming out of the All-Star break. And Denver is one of them. You know, my logic behind this is that this year we've experienced a later All-Star break than we're accustomed to. Teams on average have 20 to 22 games remaining. So crunch time is here, right? We're in the final quadrant of the NBA regular season. And I think this is where the men separate themselves from the boys. Denver was one of the hottest teams in basketball going into the All-Star break. 
They had won and covered five out of six, whereas Sacramento was kind of backing their way in. They were two and three straight up, two and three against the number going into the all-star break. Denver is making a real push here. They want to solidify themselves as a top six team. They are well-rested. Nikola Jokic just, you know, showed against the best players in the world. He belongs. The star power in this game leans so heavily in favor of the Nuggets. I I don't think Sacramento is going to keep this one within a five-point game. You know, Denver has won every game against the Kings since the 2019-2020 season by five or more. Uh, Just to clarify, they haven't won every game against the Kings. Every game that they have won was by five or more. And if you look at their average margin of victory in their last six games, they're averaging a seven and a half point win, while the Kings in their last five are actually averaging a five point loss, which falls right on the wrong side of this number for Sacramento. I just think Denver here is the play. I think they're the far superior team. I'm not worried about the Cowbells in Sacramento at this particular junction in Kings franchise history. So I don't think there's significant home court advantage and I think you nailed it in that these are teams moving in the opposite direction. The Kings, the Nuggets, I'm sorry, have gotten healthier. They're playing good basketball. Uh, You look at their metrics, they actually should have a better record slightly than they do. The Kings, they're going to be introducing DeMonte Sabonis in this game. And you look at the history, I feel like Nikola Jokic is just a rich man's version of Sabonis as far as a, a big that likes to put it on the court, has, you know, assist game. And you look at their history, the Nuggets have won... 7 of 10 matchups versus Sabonis, and Jokic has doubled them up. Sabonis 12 points a game, Jokic 24 points a game in their matchups together. So I like your play here. I'm leaning towards the Nuggets. And you look at a total of 231 and a half. I'm likely going to play the Nuggets. I just don't see a lot of uh, fervor in the Kings right now. Yeah, the one thing that is interesting there is the over on this total. You know, we we, uh, we touched on it a few episodes ago. The Nuggets, who at the beginning of the year were one of the most consistent under teams in the league, lately have been on a bit of an overstretch going all the way back to about January 13th. So if you like that total, it's something to definitely keep an eye out for. Even though the Kings were losing before the break, they were still in most of their losses, putting up uh, 118, 114 in their wins, 123, 132. So there definitely could be some offensive fireworks here. Sacramento's gone over in six out of its last seven. So that could be another play. If you like the over in this one, uh, two teams that are actually accustomed to hitting the under, but for the better part of the last six weeks have been uh, good plays on the over. Yeah, just looking at the splits, the Nuggets have been, and you mentioned them starting out as the slowest team pace-wise in the league, the third best team on offense since that January 13th demarcator. So maybe Nuggets team total as well. considering that the the Kings are a bottom five defense and that's been consistent. So Mackenzie, what other games on the Thursday slate are you looking forward to? We've so far touched on Boston minus six. We've touched on Denver, a couple of road favorites in that one that we like. What else are you looking ahead to? I like, and I bet the Atlanta Hawks plus three and a half versus Chicago Bulls. I have these teams as pretty much even. I, th- I think the Bulls should be about a one and a half point favorite. And it has everything to do with metrics. So the Chicago Bulls, number one seed in the East, 38-21, right there with the Miami Heat. But if you didn't know that, if you could close your eyes and forget that, and then you look at the Atlanta Hawks below 500, okay, well, close your eyes and forget that. If you look at their Pythagorean wins, they're very, very close teams. And the uh, Young's Hawks have been slightly outscored by by the Bulls. Bulls plus two on average. 
But if you look at NBA 538, which is kind of a way to use Pythagorean theorem and also use influence strength of schedule, the Hawks are supposed to improve down the stretch. Vegas expects them to win 41 and a half games on the season, 538, 44 games. The Bulls, the exact opposite. Vegas has them at 50, sneaky best bet. In fact, that is a bonus best bet. The Bulls under 50 and a half. And let's look at the things that are going against them. Obviously, they lost Lonzo Ball, who had been shooting great. Zach Levine's been in and out. But even ignoring the matchups and the players, and the Hawks are getting healthier, by the way. The Bulls have outscored teams by two points per game. They should be, if you just use the Pythagorean theorem, they should be 34 and 25. They're actually four games better than that. That's number one in the league. The Atlanta Hawks are the exact opposite. They have the set, they're, they're underperforming their metrics by the seventh biggest margin in the league. I just don't think the Bulls are that good. It really comes down to it. I think the Bulls have a big market appeal. They have an MVP candidate. But I think you go game by game, you look at the numbers. They're not a better team than the Hawks. I didn't think they were coming into the season. And the fact that they have a better record, considering how many injuries that they have right now and how many injuries the Hawks have had up to this point in the season that are no longer part of their power rating, I just think these are even teams. We're getting three and a half points. I like the Hawks. Interesting. And that's also interesting because I'm, I'm assuming you think the Hawks are going to win since we've had the discussion that usually when there's a number of three and a half or less, if you're taking a team to cover, you're taking a team to win. Yes, I, I would I would be looking in that direction. It has it does have to do with the free throws, but it's also just the totals keep going up, up and up and the spreads are staying as tight as they've ever been. So more off, more often than it's ever been before, teams that cover generally win in the NBA. So keep that in mind with your betting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with this one, it's a stay away for me, but you are a man after my heart, McKenzie, because you remember that last episode, I said the best team to play in the second half or in the final 20 or so games of the season was the Milwaukee Bucks to win the Central Division. So I'm going to be rooting against the Bulls vehemently the rest of the way. We talked about the Bulls uh, or the Bucks at plus 110. I think that's a fine bet. They actually are getting bet their season win up over 50 and a half. So Vegas now expects them to be better than the Bulls. So if you're getting plus 110 in the more square market, in my opinion, division bets versus the season win bets, that's, um, as Fez would say, basic strategy. I love the Bulls under 50 and a half. I like that bet even more than the Bucks to win the division because the Bucks have a difficult schedule too. But the Bulls don't have a full strength roster compared to where they've been the whole year. They have the second hardest remaining schedule in the league. And like I said, if you look at their metrics, they're just not as good as they appear by their standings record. Yeah, and the key there also, which we touched on last episode, is that those two teams, the Bucks and the Bulls, have three games remaining of their four on the season. Milwaukee's 1-0. They beat them 94-90 some time ago. But they have three games left head-to-head. -head. If you think Milwaukee has an edge in those three games, then you might want to double down, take the Bucks to win the division, and take the Bulls under 50 and a half wins. Now, Mackenzie, I want to get to one final game on Thursday's slate. And in fact, this is my best bet for this episode. It's the Memphis Grizzlies at the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I am riding on the Grizzlies to finish the year strong and to cover in this one. And what I think is a really small line, Memphis minus two and a half. Here's my reasoning. The Grizzlies are the best team in the league against the spread, right? They are 40 and 20 covering two thirds of the time. They are also by far the best team in basketball on the road, 22 and 8 against the number, and as a road 
favorite nine and two against the number. Now you would think that a team like Minnesota that has so far just looking at wins and losses exceeded expectations this season, you would think that they would thrive at home and as a home dog. Well, they're just barely above 500 covering at home. And as a home dog, they're actually below 500, just four and five against the spread before the all-star break. Talked about this when I mentioned the Denver Nuggets, right? One of the hottest teams in basketball leading into the break. The Memphis Grizzlies were the hottest team in basketball. They had won and covered. This goes with what you were saying about teams often, you know, not only winning, but covering as well. Memphis had won and covered nine out of 11 going into the All-Star break. And I think this is a team that's going to pick up exactly where they left off. There's 20 games left after this year. We had that unusually late All-Star break. And I think the better teams are going to really separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Memphis is trying to show that they are a top three, if not the best team in the Western Conference. Now that Chris Paul is going to miss some time. I think the Grizzlies really do believe they're as good as anyone. They're going to go out there and show it. I think we're going to get a big performance out of Memphis and Minnesota on the way to them winning and covering minus two and a half for my best bet. I have no problem with that bet. I do think my line anyway is that the that the Wolves are only a one-point favorite. So therefore, technically, I mean, I feel like it's my numbers, right? So the fact that I disagree with my numbers kind of makes them irrelevant. But it's not the best way that I want to get at this game because I'm looking at the Wolves, a team that plays a super high-paced tempo but allows bottom 10 points to point guards. So somehow they're running up and down the court, but it's never the point guard that's converting probably because he's throwing it ahead. They are ranked second worst against opponent power forward. So how do I want to get at it? Looking at player props, points. John Morant right now, 29 and a half. I think that's way too high. Just said Wolves top 10 in opposing point guards defense, stopping them from scoring. And just even if I didn't know the matchup, it's too high. Morant has scored 30 plus points in 20 of 46 games this year. That's only 43%. So you're covering 57%. You can get this at minus 108 at FanDuel. You only need to cover 52% to be profitable. But Okay, you could say, well, the Wolves, you know, high pace, they should play, they should play higher scoring games. If you look at 100 minutes, 99.7 to be exact, that Morant has played in three games versus the Wolves this season, he's only scored 60 points. That's a 22 points per 36-minute basis. And Morant doesn't even play 36 minutes because they're winning a lot. They're, he's often taken out. He only plays 33 minutes a game. So if we just say, all right, I think his scoring versus the Wolves will be consistent. I think his minutes per game will be consistent then this number should be closer to over under 20 and a half. We're getting 29 and a half. That's a huge variance. Yes, I love it. I think it's just set way too high. But I kind of like the Grizzlies matchup. I think they're a year ahead of where this Wolves team is going to be. So I think a great way to hedge off that somewhat, maybe half the bet. I also like Jaron Jackson over 16 and a half, considering that the Wolves are bad against uh, scoring power forwards. So that's how I'm going to attack this game. My better bet will be Morant under 29 and a half points. All right. So jaw under 29 and a half Jackson over 16 and a half, you know, Jackson's not the biggest score in the world. So 16 and a half, I think is a really good number by Vegas, but I tend to lean with you. You know, if you look at one of your favorite stats, right? P E R, or as we oh, yeah. like to call it per um, <laughs> Jaron Jackson and Brendan Clark, are some of the, or rather Brandon Clark, not Brendan, excuse me, 
some of the best power forwards in the league in that category. I mean, how rare is it for one team to have two guys in the top 10 in that category? Jaron Jackson ranks ninth with a PER of 17 and a half. Brandon Clark, second among NBA power forwards only to Giannis with a PER of 25. Now, is that the end-all be-all stat? No. I actually spoke before the All-Star break when we were discussing the All-Star team rosters and PER. I spoke about how I'm not really the biggest fan of it, but it does show you that while he only plays, you know, 20 minutes a game, when Brandon Clark is out there, he's efficient as hell. And I think having two really efficient, strong power forwards for the Memphis Grizzlies is going to help them in this matchup, especially if Ja gets slowed down. I, I think that your props are spot on. Ja might not have the biggest night, but he might not have to for Memphis to win and cover in this matchup. 100%. Patrick Beverly, point guard, above average defender. Jared Vanderbilt and Carl Anthony Towns in the middle. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns has got some size to him, but they don't, not exactly the most fleet of foot defenders. I think you're right. I think the Grizzlies do have an inside advantage. Now, if we want to look ahead to Friday's slate, McKenzie, there's a lot of games for Thursday we just covered, but because of the long break between the All-Star break and now the return of play in the NBA, we've got some good lines out, some accurate lines out ahead of schedule. So let's take a look at Friday. Is there a game that really jumps off the board in your opinion? I think you got to look at Salt Lake City. This has got to be the premier matchup Friday night. The red-hot Dallas Mavericks. You've heard me mention many times how good the Boston Celtics have been since January 1st, Dallas Mavericks right there with them, and they've also been doing it primarily on the defensive end of the floor. Then you have the Utah Jazz, who are a very interesting case study. We've talked about them several times on this pod because their metrics, I talk about net rating and things like that all the time, would make them a top five team. If you've seen them the last you know month and a half, I mean, they've had a lot of players in and out, you just wouldn't come to that same conclusion. They have the fifth hardest remaining strength of schedule Yet still, they're expected to end up with 52 wins, 16 and 7 down the stretch. So Vegas is very high on this team. I I think they might be not properly accounting for it. Look, I know they just won six games in a row before Gobert came back. And then they blew a lead the second game that Gobert came back. I still think there's tensions, there's disharmony on that Jazz team. The fact that they blow so many teams out kind of hides this fact, kind of obscures their numbers but I think the Mavericks might be the better team at this moment and I do think we're going to get value on them at plus three or greater all right you know I, I gotta say my biggest takeaway looking at this game and I'm sorry that this adds absolutely zero uh knowledge to our conversation but my biggest takeaway is that you can go to this game for 40 dollars. yet if you want to see the Knicks play the Heat on a Friday night in New York City it's going to cost you at least a buck 15. I'm sorry. That's that's my biggest takeaway looking at Friday night's schedule. That's fair. You know, just you're a man of the people. You're, you're trying to, uh, <laughs> I don't know where I go for that. Yeah, it's like if I lived in Utah, like what would stop me from going to every single jazz game? That's just the right. awful part about living in New York is that if you want to see an awful Knicks team play a good opponent, you got to shell out at least $100 for one person. But this is the premier game. Utah, Dallas. When the I know, and it's not even on national TV. We should change that. I mean, Clippers, Lakers, ESPN, both both teams. Let's just say this: the Clippers on paper were the same as the Lakers coming into the season, or similar. I mean, not coming into the season, entering last year's playoffs. Well, since then, the Clippers have lost Kawhi Leonard, they've lost Paul George, the Lakers have only added Russell Westbrook. Yet, if you look at the projected line right now, without those guys, the Clippers are projected to be about as good as this LA Lakers team that just shows you how the mighty have fallen 
and there's no real clear reason why. Way, way, way to shit on the game, by the way, that I wanted to talk about for Friday night. That was like my game to, <laughs> my game to look ahead to. Well, it is the marquee game. It is the marquee game. Let me just mention real quick about the $40 yeah. Utah Jazz tickets. In Chicago, when the Cubs were bad, and they were bad for about 150 years, <laughs> you, you always heard about the, uh, the businessman that was, would just get tired of you know, being in the office, grab a newspaper, grab his lunch, go into the pews of Wrigley Field and just casually eat his lunch well oh, happens to be a baseball game on good times good times yeah and now the cubs uh well they suck again actually they had a good little run and and now yep. they're really bad again <laughs> congratulations businessmen that want really cheap tickets to spend an afternoon right all right well it looks like we're gonna have to spend at least a hundred bucks to get into this one what do you make of the marquee matchup for friday from a television perspective the la clippers visiting quote-unquote, visiting the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, exactly. You look at a game like this and just take any home and road splits and just throw them out the window, right? Because it doesn't matter in this matchup who technically is home, who technically is on the road. There's always going to be more Laker fans in the stands when these two teams go at it. But the interesting thing about these two teams uh, squaring off is that the Clippers, going back to the 2012-2013 season, are 30-7 and straight up against the Lakers. This is a team that trails the all-time series 104 to 59, yet wow. over the wow. past 9 to 10 years is 30 and 7. So, you know, we all talk about the Lakers being the big brothers and historically, yes they are. For the better part of a decade, it's been all Clippers when these two teams go head to head. The Lakers have to put an end to it, and not just for pride, but for multiple reasons, right? The Lakers needed the all-star break, you can argue, more than any other team in basketball, right? They are led by a group of veterans, even though they've got some complimentary young pieces. The Lakers are an old team when you look at their star players, and they needed a break, a pause, a reset, because the playoffs are only about 20 games away, and the Lakers have been the laughing stock of hoops for the first 60 games this season. I think they're going to come out of the break really hot, I'm not saying they're going to finish in the top six. It might be too little too late, but I think the Lakers are going to come out hot, and I think it starts here. Now you look at this actual matchup, these two teams. Well, first off, the Lakers are 18 and 13 at home straight up. So even though their covering number at home is really bad, they're only favored by a point and a half here. So if you look at an 18 and 13 straight up home record, if you think they're going to win, you take them. If you think they're going to lose, you don't. It's really simple in this matchup. But I think that the Lakers are trying to prove a point, not only because of the success that the Clippers have had for the past decade, but also because if you go back six games, they lost a heartbreaker to the Clippers a couple of weeks ago. Of course, Reggie Jackson, McKenzie, I'm not sure if you remember this, but did that weird hop skip thing across half court, then hits a little floater. Anthony Davis tries to answer at the buzzer. Ball goes around, does a complete 360. Rims out, Lakers lose 111-110. I think that's fresh in their minds. I think they're going for revenge here. Plus, the Clippers are one of their top competitors in terms of seeding in the standings. So the Lakers going to try to get a game up on them here. I'm taking LA to win and to cover minus one and a half. I'm glad you mentioned Re Reggie Jackson. I like his over 18 and a half points. Real simple. The Lakers, they're 30th out of 30 teams in allowing point guards to score the ball. Why? Well... Russell Westbrook plays off-ball defense, and sometimes he might guard a man or two, but rarely is he going to lock up the point guard. That's not really how they play. They like to pack the paint. They like to have Davis and LeBron help on the inside, not necessarily where Reggie Jackson does his damage 
30 feet from the basket. So I expect him to have a big night to try to keep it close. Uh, but I lean to the Lakers. I think they're more motivated here. I think they're a better team. Like I said, entering last year's playoffs, they're about six points better power rating wise than the Clippers. If you took off Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I know the Clippers have added Powell. I know they've been able to have some practice time without these guys, but I just think the Lakers are a better team despite everything I've seen so far this year. Yeah, I mean, look, both of these teams are pretty even standings-wise. The Lakers have definitely, like I said, they've been the laughing stock. At the end of the day, with a week off of rest for a team that has, you know, Russ, LeBron, AD, Melo, I think that week off makes a bigger difference for them. I think that they're going to come out really strong in this one. Mackenzie, have we gotten to your best bet before we wrap up this episode? Indeed. I think it's about that time. I mentioned this on last podcast, and I feel stronger than I did last time. The Phoenix Suns, my best bet. In the first half, Thursday, minus seven, all the way up to eight and a half. Real simple here. Chris Paul has missed zero games this season. He missed four games last season. And obviously the last eight games that the Suns played before he arrived was in the bubble. In those games, in the bubble, the Suns went eight and no. Two regular season games last year, the Suns won both without Chris Paul. And two playoff games, two home playoff games to start last year's Western Conference Finals, the Suns won without Chris Paul. Look, I'm a top 10 percentile Chris Paul advocate and fan. However, I just think he's more of a coach of the year candidate than he is an MVP. They have a lot of talent on this team. All the best players on that team outside of Chris Paul are closer to their prime right now than they were last year and definitely when they're in the bubble. Talking about Booker. Bridges, arguably one of the best wing defenders in the league, and DeAndre Ayton. They go up against the Oklahoma City team, who's been terrible. I mean, they've outperformed expectations sixth most in the league. If you look at their scoring differential versus what their record should be, only five teams have a bigger differential. So they've gotten lucky in some close games. And they've been coming back in the second half regularly in on the season They've been outscored in the first half by five and a half points per game. Only outscored in the game by seven and a half points per game. So 80% of their scoring differential is accountable to the first half. In the Suns, it's a little closer split, but it's very similar and the opposite. The Suns better in the first half than they are the second half. I looked at this spread and said, all right, before I make my Chris Paul adjustment, I just want to see where this number would come out. I got a 19 point projected spread. The Phoenix Suns are eight points better than an average team with injury factors factoring in. I have the Thunder right now is nine point worse. Yes, I think the Thunder will be just as motivated ever. They've been a scrappy team, underdog team all year. But I think the Suns, Cameron Payne, will relish this opportunity. I don't think they're going to go quietly into that playoffs. I think they're going to rally for, they're going to do it for the Gipper. They're going to say, hey, this is his Chris Paul's best chance ever to win a title. We're not slowing down for nothing. So the fact that Chris Paul's out, minus 19 would become minus 15, maybe minus 14 and a half. You adjust again because the fourth quarter line probably won't be, uh, you know, they're probably rest players in the fourth quarter. But I just can't get down to nine and a half or 10 where this game is right now. So I like the Suns in the game, but why not isolate where the Suns are better and where the Thunder are worse? That will be in the first half. So that's why, that's why my best bet is the Phoenix Suns laying seven on Thursday hosting the Oklahoma City Thunder in the first half. 
You know, I have, I have no arguments there with that first half bet. I do think you might not be giving Chris Paul enough credit for what he actually brings in terms of his play on the court. Uh, Oklahoma City, I could actually see coming back in this one. You know, they're, they're a young team. Uh, they're not necessarily talented. I'm not going to argue in that respect for them. But being at home, I could see them making this, you know, a single digit game. But the first half is really where they've struggled. And I- I'm with you on that Suns minus seven first half. I've already had my best bet put in Memphis minus two and a half at Minnesota. Guys, the NBA is back. We've got about 20 or so regular season games left. Mackenzie and I, this is our time to get sharp leading into the playoffs. I'm sure we're going to have more bets outside of just what we reveal on the show. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at Mac and Rivers at the Joe Serralo because the NBA, now that football season's done, now that the all-star break is done, the NBA is about to get real good these next six or so weeks. So thanks for tuning in. That does it for the 20th edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Of course, the NBA episode with myself and my man, Mackenzie Rivers. 